Chapel, Mason City. Ephesians chapter 5, we're looking at this uh, sort of lengthy section, verses 1 through 12. It's not very lengthy, but there's just a ton of stuff in there. And so last week in Ephesians 5, 1 through 12, we looked at the part called walk in love. And that was verses 1 through 6. It was, the subject was, what does it mean to walk in love? This time, walking in light. Pick it up at verse 7, please. Therefore... Do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Father in heaven, we turn to you today, the God of the word. And we approach the word today in humility. We sit underneath of its authority, Father. And we pray that you would open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our understandings to understand spiritual things beyond the words of a man standing in front of people that didn't graduate high school, a foolish thing that you used to confound the wise. Beyond anything of a man, we pray that your spirit would speak to us here today, spiritual things, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. How do we walk in light? There's a few things in this passage. Verse 7 says we need to avoid the sins of the world. Number 2, verses 8 through 10, we need to understand what it means to be and walk in the light. Number 3, exposing works of darkness rather than being involved with them. So those are the three things we'll see in the passage today. To walk in light, we need to avoid the sins of the world. We need to understand what it means to be and walk in the light. That's kind of funny, right? How, does it, how do we walk in the light? Well, we need to understand what it means to walk in the light. Okay, so <laughs> give me a break here. <laughs> It'll make sense when we get there. And then the last one, exposing works of darkness rather than being involved with them. Number one, avoiding the sins of the world. Verse 7 says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. When you see therefore, you look back and see what just came before it. What is the context here? Therefore, looks back to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. And I'll read them again for you to refresh your memory. Verse 5 of Ephesians 5 says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So in light of the wrath that is coming upon those that are committed to sin, In light of that, don't be partakers with them. In other words, don't be doing the things that those people are doing. Very simple. The Greek would have it as this. It's a continuous tense where it would be stop participating in these works of darkness. So he's telling the Ephesian church, uh, you know, these are things that you want to stop participating in. Why would he tell them that? Well, you know, in Paul's day and age, Ephesus, the city, 
was completely given over to sexual immorality. There was just a general disregard for morality. Sin was rampant. It was the center of the worship of the false god, goddess Artemis, also known as Diana, which some scholars believe involved cult prostitution. In other words, like to raise money and finances for the temple in support of Diana. Uh, and they also believe there's spiritual significance. They'd have people, they'd send out prostitutes essentially into the community and they would bring them into the temple, you know, an area and then and these cult prostitutes would have sex as part of the ritual, as part of the religion. In those days, it's quite common in the ancient world. It's, you know, you read about it and you just, you know, you get kind of surprised. Uh, Corinth was actually known for it as well. So Paul is speaking to a church that is right in the middle of a culture that's given over to immorality. And so when you read the instructions in Ephesians, you say, this relates to us here today in America. It certainly does. Our culture is given over uh, into uh, sexual practices and all, pretty much sinning with no conscience anymore. In fact, sin's becoming applauded. Uh, and, you know, you know how it is. Paul comes with this letter and he says, essentially, I don't care what the culture around you is doing it's headed for judgment and wrath. You have been changed through your faith in Jesus. Now walk as light. Let me stop for a second and make just an obvious point. So right away, as this passage starts, the, you see it in your Bible there, verse 7. This is a direct command, right? He just says, do not be partakers with them. The Bible lays out clear directives, clear commands, and tells people exactly what to do and what not to do. Now, it doesn't have an answer for every single thing. Like, should I have pizza tonight or should I, you know, it, you know, who should I marry exactly? It doesn't give us exact specific things, but there are quite a few specific direct commands in the Bible. This one is one of them. It says, do not be partakers with them. And the point that I kind of was stuck on, uh, you know, pondering while I was preparing the message is the fact that the Bible tells you exactly what to do. Like if you go to a, a counselor today that's been trained in Freud and Skinner and Erickson and all the, the you know, young, all the atheist, you know, psychiatrists, they, they're trained, in fact, to tell you, they don't tell you what to do. They say, how do you feel about that? Because they think you have the answer inside of you, so they don't tell you directly what to do. In fact, there are counselors, you know, on record saying, we were, we were trained to not give direct advice to anybody because their paradigm is you have the answer within yourself. The whole worldview that the Bible comes from is you need to be told by God exactly what to do. And you might say, man, this is a really obvious point, you know, that you're telling me that the Bible gives direct commands, duh, right? Well, there is great confusion about this today. And, and let me explain for a second. I'm kind of going on an aside, but I just want to explain something because I think this is really important. Some people today treat the Word of God as nothing more than a collection of inspirational sayings that can maybe get them through the day. I like to call these like, you know, cat calendar Christians, you know what I mean? Like they've got the, the cats hanging from the tree and it's like, hang in there. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, you know what I mean? And they're just like hallmark Christians. They've got the little sayings and they think that's all the Bible is, is just a collection of little, you know, little truisms, you know, or whatever, little quips just to kind of help them cope with life. Now the Bible is filled with inspirational quotes, but there are some people that think that that's all that it is. Others pick and choose what parts of the word they will obey based on personal preference or convenience. 
They say, well, you know, I, I like that. We used to meet with this gal, Erin particularly, that she would share the word of God with her. And, and she, you know, this gal was in this habit. It just, this annoys me probably more than it should. But this gal would say this, like you'd share a Bible verse with her and she'd go, ooh, I like that. And you know what? I'd be thinking in my mind, I would be like, that's great that you like that. But I mean, God doesn't care whether you like it or not. Do it, you know? Like that's, that's the point, you know? Ooh, I like that. So it's like you're the judge of what's good or not in this Bible, Right? Oh, I don't like that. I do like this. Other people are like that. Now, there are others still that subjectively interpret Jesus' teachings based on their own preconceived ideas rather than studying the Bible in context, truly discovering its meaning. There are those that don't really know much about the Bible, but yet they'll tell you all kinds of stuff about Jesus. And you wonder, you're like, how do you know? Any, how can you say you know anything about Jesus for sure when, I mean, you don't get in the Word? Now, there are others still that interpret the word of God as moral relativists, they would say that the laws, the ethics, the commands in the Bible are flexible based on the situation, that laws are relative to the situation. You know, an example of this is many mainline denominations reinterpreting, you know, what the Bible, trying to reinterpret what the Bible says about same-sex marriage and about living with your partner before you're married and things like that. In fact, the ELCA, you know, went through the Lutheran church and caused massive divisions as the ELCA came in with their liberal approaches to Scripture. One of them was saying, you know, times are difficult today. It's just so hard, you know, with two people have to make enough income to support the house. So therefore, it makes sense that they could live together before they're married. And so reinterpret things based on the cultural climate or moral relativism. In other words, Jesus' rules need to be interpreted situationally, right? And so that's, I bring all this up just to make this obvious point that when Paul says, don't be involved with sexual sin, that means the same thing in Africa as it does in Mason City, Iowa. It's a clear directive. That's how we need to understand the Bible is that God is giving us clear directions. Do this, don't do this, right? It's not just about being inspired and finding a verse that you want to print out and put in your cubicle. It's about God giving you clear directions. Do this, don't do this. Now, when Paul says stop partaking in these sins, that's exactly what he means. Stop partaking in fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness from last time. Stop partaking in all sexual sin. Anything filthy. Turn from greedy desires for things that don't belong to you, which he calls idolatry. So first of all, to walk in light, we need to avoid the sins of the world. Number two, we need to understand being and walking in light. Verse 8 says, For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but, you, but now you are light in the Lord. In other words, I saw the light. <laughs> More than that, though, right? He says you are light. You were darkness. It's not that you were in darkness. It's not that you're in the light now. You were darkness. You are light. Very strong words. Where he says you were darkness. Now, this is the state of all humans by nature. People, according to the Word of God and according to the experience of humans, are not born good and then become bad. People are born bad and then must be taught and disciplined to learn to be good. You say, I know I've raised kids. <laughs> if you've ever tried to raise a kid, you realize I did not have to teach them how to do these bad things. They just do them naturally. 
They need to be told not to do these bad things. That's what he means. All humans have inherited sin from the Garden of Eden. Scholars have a few different terms that they use to describe this. One is inherited sin. Kind of means that, you know, you've inherited sin from Adam and Eve. It went from them to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, till it got all the way to you. Ancestry.com reveals that you, uh, well, you know, if, if it went back far enough, it would go back to the Garden of Eden where, where there was sin and, and you inherited sin. Scholars also call it original sin. Um, and then there's another term just talking about your sin nature. In other words, it means that you were born a sinner. You were born in sin. You were born darkness. In this state, man, women, men, women cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit. Their understanding is darkened. They are blinded by the God of this age and by the sin that is in them. Ephesians 2.1 says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's another way of saying the same thing. So Paul says, you were in this state. But he says, but now you are light in the Lord. Christ came and died to take the penalty of sin upon himself, your sin, my sin. And when a person turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus for salvation, they are made spiritually alive and the life of God comes and lives inside of them. And that's what he means here. Peter puts it like this. He says, you've, been, you've become partakers of the divine nature. Uh, John puts it, or Jesus in John says that you, he tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. That's another synonymous term. Ephesians 2, Paul says, you uh, have been made alive. Uh, Matthew 5, 14 says, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Uh, you know, you remember the rest of it, a city that's set on the hill cannot be hidden. As light, you reflect the very nature and character of God. As light, you influence the world. I'm in a room of influencers. <laughs> Not the kind that teenagers think today, oh, I want to be an influencer. Well, good news. If you're in Christ, you're an influencer. As light, you stand out against the darkness of this world. So naturally, verse 8, then the conclusion is walk as children of light. To walk as children of light means to live before the eyes of God with nothing to hide. I went to uh, Philadelphia recently, somewhat recently, and I went to a pastor's conference. And um, you know how you go through the security, the x-ray thing and you got to stand there and put your feet on the space and put your hands up. And uh, man, when I used to fly before Christ, I would always get to those things and kind of get a little worried. You know, being like, I wonder if I left something in my bag that like shouldn't be in there, you know, and they're going to find it right now. But I'll tell you what, this last time that I went, no problem at all. In the time before, no problem. You can shine the x-ray light all through me. It doesn't matter. I don't have anything to hide. That's the idea here. Walk as a child of light. Walk swears you don't have anything to hide before the Lord or anybody else. God sees absolutely everything. It's impossible to hide anything from Him. He sees every single thing in your pocket. He sees everything on your computer. He sees your text message history. He sees what you do when other people have gone to bed. He sees everything you're watching. He sees everything you think about. There's no sense in trying to hide anything like that. What makes sense is to live a life that's in the life with, in the light, you know, as light with nothing to hide before him. 
And that's what he's getting at here. He offers forgiveness when we come to him for it, when we turn from our sin and we walk as light. Now, what does that look like? Verse 9, the fruit of the Spirit's in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is a quick description of the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the light. This is God's character revealed by believers that are walking in light. Goodness is just love in action. Righteousness, this is the character that is right before God and the actions that are right before man. Truth, all things in conformity with the Word of God. For a more full description, Galatians 5, through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are descriptions of the fruit of God's Spirit working in a believer. That's what he's saying. You've been taken from death, darkness, to light. Walk in it. He's encouraging them to live as they are. He's not telling them to be something different. than This is what your new nature. You live as you are now. In verse 10, he says this, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. This is one of the major purposes of the church is to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Since believers are children of light, they ought to walk in ways that are acceptable to the Lord. In order to do that, they need to find out what the Lord accepts. It reminds me of the guy that took a gardening class shortly after his wife passed away. He really liked gardening. And his friend asked him, he says, why at 76 years old would you go back to school? And he replied, well, my wife confessed on her deathbed that she had always hated the way that I did our garden because I always did what I wanted. She said the worst part was that I never stopped to take the thyme to figure out what she liked. <laughs> that sounded way better when I was practicing that at home. <laughs> Got to lighten up a little bit here. <laughs> Many today simply make a Jesus of their liking that agrees with them and defines good and evil as they do. This is one of the tragedies of the American consumer-driven church. More concerned for what's acceptable to us than what God accepts. It says finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. This is one of the most important things that individual Christians and churches must do. How do we do it? Well, it's been said that a man of God, when he gets cut, should bleed Scripture. That would apply to a woman of the Lord as well. Or I like what they said about Pastor Chuck. They said, if you go up and hug Pastor Chuck, Scripture just comes out. You will never know what's acceptable to the Lord until you know the Word of God. Again, I find it almost entertaining of how you can meet Christians that will tell you so much about God that know nothing about the Word, and you say, you have made a Jesus of your own liking. This is idolatry. This is like the number one sin in the Ten Commandments is to make a God after your own liking that accepts the things that you accept and doesn't like the things that you don't like. Hitler did that, didn't he? 
the Aryan Jesus. I get a kick out of going into some churches where you see blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus on the nursery wall, and you're like, well, you've made a Jesus of your own liking. This one fits right in the white bread culture of the Midwest. Looks great, right? It goes along with everybody. People make a Jesus of their own liking, and they commit one of the most atrocious sins in God's eyes. How do you know what God accepts, what, he, what pleases him? You've got to take the time to figure that out. Sunday mornings here, we do this. Sunday mornings, we find out what's acceptable to, to the Lord. But this is a big book, man. If all you're getting is just this on Sunday morning, you're not really figuring out too much about God, you know? Praise the Lord, we're going verse by verse. You're getting some. But man, this is an everyday thing. Being a Christian is an everyday thing. This is super practical, isn't it? Churches should be doing this. I will tell you what, this is probably one of the most important things that a parent can be doing. Because if you're, if you're a godly parent and you want Jesus to be the Lord of your house, you have to know what God accepts. You have to know what kind of parenting God accepts. Do you know that as a parent? Do you know exactly what kind of parenting God's okay with? What about being an employee? Do you know exactly what kind of employees you know, God accepts? And so on. It's very practical, isn't it? One of my absolute most favorite things is when people actually start studying the scriptures and they find out that they had no idea what was in there. And some people have been going to church like, I've been in church my whole life, but I never got in the Bible before. I can't believe this is in there. I love that. That's, I love that feeling. It reminds me of one of the gals that used to attend church here for the longest time. You must know the word of God to know it is acceptable to God. So we're to avoid the sins of the world. We're to understand what it means to be light and walk in light. Finally, we are to expose works of darkness rather than being involved with them. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. The light produces goodness, righteousness, and truth. Darkness produces nothing but futility. There are no beneficial results of works of darkness. Now, if we're to have no fellowship with these works of darkness, this does not mean to hole up in some cave somewhere to try to avoid uh, the world, but it does mean that Christians are not to take part in any of the sins of the world around them. I know this is a hard word, but I mean, there are Christians that will say stuff like, well, I don't do those kind of things. But then you would say, well, but you pay Netflix to show you two and three hour movies of those things. Well, I, I believe violence is wrong, but yet I'll sit and I'll pay five bucks to sit and watch a movie and I'll, I will fund People in Hollywood, which, by the way, Hollywood is, you know, as you know, it's responsible for so much moral decline in this country, the filth that it produces. But yet I'll sit and give them my money because I need to be entertained. I can't find something better to do. You say, I don't commit these sort of acts. I don't do these sort of things. But yeah, do you engage in them in video games? Because, I mean, you're partnering with works of darkness one way or another. You may say, well, I don't do these things in real life, but yet you're paying money to be entertained by these things. I know it's a hard word. Partnering. Supporting. 
But he says in verse 11, he says, rather expose them. Don't be engaged with them negatively, positively expose them. Now, Christians are called to expose, to rebuke, to unmask, to bring light upon works of darkness. Now, this happens in at least two ways. There's maybe the, I just I called them this, there's the indirect way and there's the direct way that a Christian brings light upon the works of darkness. Maybe the indirect way. It's kind of the byproduct of walking as light in the Lord. When you follow Jesus, it naturally shines the light on the people who do not. For instance, you get a job, you're working in a kitchen, and uh, you, know, you want nothing but a good time, and uh, you got your bandana on, and you're washing dishes in the kitchen, and you know, Friday night's coming, and, and, you're, and you're in this environment of where these people are having these conversations. And eventually, they notice, they say, how come you don't laugh at any of these jokes, man? I mean, how come, you don't, how come every time we start talking about what we did last week and you walk away? You say, well, because I'm a Christian. It's sinful to sit and listen to that. It's sinful to listen to gossip. So that's why I walk away. Well, see, what you're doing is you're indirectly shining the light on people that are in the darkness. The next thing that will happen in that kitchen situation most likely is, you know, maybe some girl starts hitting on you because now they're going to try to get the person that's in there, you know, to try to compromise. You know what I mean? They're going to try to see if they can get the Christian, you know, to compromise their values. And, uh, you know, you're indirectly shining. Another way that it happens, it reminds me of Lee Strobel. Has anybody seen the movie Case for Christ? Anybody seen that? So you've got an atheist reporter for a Chicago publication, and this gentleman, uh, you know, his wife gets saved, and he starts getting really uncomfortable by it because, like, you know, his sinful drinking starts getting exposed. Uh, the fact that he's walking in darkness gets exposed, and his wife is going to Bible studies and all this other stuff, and he's just becoming increasingly in uncomfortable with the light that is shining through his wife into his home. And eventually, you know what happens, right? He goes out and uses all of his, you know, world-class journalism skills to try to disprove Jesus Christ. And he ends up getting saved in the process and starting a tremendous ministry. But indirectly, his wife, you know, his God was working. His wife wasn't nagging him. She was just following Jesus Christ. And that light was shining in that darkness. And indirectly, it got to him. There's more of a direct approach also, uh, directly exposing and rebuking. In the movie, The Cross and the Switchblade, it's also a book, I don't know if you've read it, but a pastor, David Wilkerson, he goes into the ghetto of New York City. Is anybody familiar with this? Oh, the Cross and the Switchblade? Yeah, that guy back there, good. Um, so this pastor, he says, there's gang problems in New York City. I'm going to go take it right to him. And he goes and he's like, goes straight into the ghetto and he's sleeping in his car. And people are like, you're crazy, white dude. What are you doing here? And he's like, uh, you know, I'm going to bring Jesus to people. And, you know, he finds the, the, like one of the ringleaders of the whole thing. The dude's name's Nicky Cruz. You can Google the guy, Nicky Cruz. And uh, he's got a ministry and a testimony now too. So that's kind of spoiler alert. I gave you the story. But David Wilkerson, he keeps bringing Jesus to this guy and he's not having it, man. He's like, guy's trying to break up the gang, man. He's trying to break up the gang. And, you know, eventually it gets to him. He's having nightmares and all this other stuff because David Wilkerson is directly bringing the light of Christ into this guy and he's wrestling with his conscience. He's starting to think, yeah, I've murdered people. I mean, I've done all this stuff. And eventually bringing that light, exposing the works of darkness. Are the works of darkness directly exposed by people in the Bible? 
Sure they are. John the Baptist, he confronts Herod and Herodias on their incestuous relationship. Remember, it gets him beheaded. You guys remember John the Baptist, head on the platter, big dinner. Uh, what do you want? I want the head on the platter. Here comes John the Baptist. Can you imagine somebody walking in right now with a plate and it's like a head bleeding all over the place? Well, John the Baptist got beheaded for exposing works of darkness. Jesus repeatedly exposed the deeds of darkness committed by the religious rulers. John, in 3 John, verse 9, listen to what he says. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, did not receive us. In other words, John the Apostle is calling out this dude named Diotrephes because, you know, essentially it's all about him and his church. And so John says, uh, you know, Diotrephes, he, he calls him out by name and he says, watch out for this dude. 2 Timothy 4.10, here's another example of Paul calling somebody out by name. And he says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, he's departed for Thessalonica. Now, so there Paul calls by name, he says, watch out for Demas. 2 Timothy 1.15 says, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among them who are phagellus uh, and hermogenes. So he's calling people out. He's exposing them to the church by name. He's saying, watch out for these dudes. 1 Timothy 1, 19 through 20, he says, having, a good, uh, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So you had a couple of dudes in the church that were blaspheming in some way or another. And Paul says, I kicked him out of the church, essentially, and turned him over to Satan. He's exposing works of darkness. 2 Timothy 2.17, he says, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. There is Paul directly calling out false teaching by name in a church. He's saying, watch out for Kenneth Copeland <laughs> you know, and Peter Popoff. Watch out for these phonies. Their doctrine will spread like cancer. So that's Paul being a good, faithful shepherd. He's exposing the deeds of darkness. Now, how about this today? Is this for today? Absolutely. Christians, as Christians, we are to take part in the same sort of ministry, exposing works of darkness. Let me read some verses. 1 Corinthians 5.11 says, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named brother who is sexually immoral, immoral or covetous or an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner, not to even eat with such a person. In other words, when somebody in the church has gotten involved with any of those sins, being drunk, all these other different things, Paul says, don't talk to them. Don't eat with them. Have nothing to do with these people that are committed to sin. Now, obviously, the purpose is so they will feel the pressure and they will say, you know, I should repent of my sin and get right with the Lord. I shouldn't be walking in these sins. Unfortunately, what they'll do today in 2023 is they'll just go down the street. They'll start bagging on the pastor at the church that puts some church discipline in place. And then they'll all get welcomed into the new church and everybody will just talk junk about the other church. You know, that's not to sound pessimistic or anything, but I mean, that happens a lot of times. You know, it's too bad that a bunch of pastors together don't say, look, this guy was kicked out of our church because he's stealing money from people or something. And then he goes to the next church and everybody's like, hey, bro, we heard about you, you know, continuing on in drunkenness. Have you repented, you know, or whatever? That's the idea. Second Thessalonians 3, 6, Paul says, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. 
In other words, if you meet a person that calls themselves a Christian but is not following the doctrine of the Bible, he says, don't have company with them. Second Thessalonians 3.14. And if, anybody, uh, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them. Second uh, Timothy 3.5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Talking about some false uh, so-called brothers in the church. He says, and from such people turn away. Right? 2 John verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, right? So it's your job as a Christian, it's my job as a Christian, especially as a pastor, especially if you're in ministry of some kind or another, uh, to expose works of darkness, to rebuke these sort of things as a Christian. We've gotten kind of lax about this because, um, you know, Jesus has been reduced to a saying on a calendar, Now, in our passage, this word expose, it means to show that something is wrong. I would talk to you parents now and say, this is certainly your job to expose the works of darkness. If you have kids and you don't take up this role, your kids are going to get infected with darkness. You have to think about what would you do if somebody was going to come to your house, break into your house, and kidnap your kid? You'd say, well, I'd, I'd do whatever it took. I'd fight him to the death. Stop that. Call the cops on him or whatever. I would fight. But that's exactly what's happening through kids' phones and through their tablets and through their media stuff is like ideologies and people are coming in and hijacking your kid's mind. You know, darkness is coming in and hijacking kids and indoctrinating them with nonsense. Like the biggest one right now is that you could pick your gender. I mean, good grief. I can't believe anybody believes that for a second. You can't have babies if you're a dude. <laughs> I can't believe I would have to sit here and say that and realize that that's a controversial thing in 2023. Dudes can't have babies. But guess what? Crafty people are coming in through your kids, you know, different channels in their life, and they're indoctrinating them and churning them against you when it's your job to be exposing works of darkness. I don't know what's going on instead. This is practical for everybody. See, the people that are pushing false narratives in this world, the people that are pushing darkness, they're organized and they work hard. They work harder than most Christians to bring light. It's unfortunate. Some of you have already seen the consequences of this. Practical for everyone. Verse 12, though, this is a good warning. This is how you want to buffer this here. He says, for it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So you want to expose the works of darkness, but not just because you have some deep down sort of perverse desire to talk about evil and to think about evil all the time and think about bad things, you know. And there are people that are like that. There are people that think that that's their spiritual gift is to go and talk bad about every single thing in the body of Christ and all this. Uh, they call themselves discernment ministries. They have something bad to say about everybody and 
and you know, so that there's a balance here, you know what I mean? There are people that have an unhealthy infatuation with evil and they say, oh, I'm just exposing works of darkness. Well, Paul gives a little balance there. He says, it's shameful to speak of things which are done by them in secret. Verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. In other words, their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them for the light makes everything visible. Verse 14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep, Arise from the dead and Christ will give you life. Now what he's talking about here, this is finally, we have the charge to the sleeping, lethargic Christian. It's unfortunate that while so much of the church in America has been sleeping, much ground has been fortified or forfeited to the enemy. You look in our culture. While the church has been just taking it easy, these other people that are bringing in darkness, antichrist, have worked very hard to get their doctrines in, to get their teaching in, to get their YouTube channels set up, to get their networks, all, you know, it's organized, it's militant. There's an organized effort to silence Christianity in this country. Morality. Our laws are based on Judeo-Christian principles. Freedom that we have is based on Judeo-Christian principles. But there have been people that have, are, are working. It's so hypocritical. There are people that are saying, I have the freedom to push Christianity out of this country. You say, the freedom that you think you have came from Judeo-Christian values. It's like sitting on the branch of a tree, cutting off the other side close to the tree trunk, and you're going to fall off of it eventually. My point is, is while the church is sleeping, this stuff is happening. While the Christian dad, the Christian mom have been sleeping, darkness has come in and kidnapped their children's hearts. While the church has been sleeping, we've somehow ended up with two lesbian pastors pastoring multiple churches in surrounding communities around Mason City, Iowa, and a church down the street that gets the blessed entertainment of having the gay men's chorus come and sing in their so-called church, uh, you know, once a year. Um, we have a church on the other corner downtown that, you know, invites everybody to come take part in their new age practices that they teach people occult new age practices to help people cope with stress. All of this while the church is sleeping. While the church has been sleeping, people with spiritual issues have been sent in droves to humanistic, atheistic, cocaine-addicted therapists to try to find out what's wrong with them. While the church has been charged to walk as light exposing the deeds of darkness, many Christians have been pushed back into a corner as cowards, not even truly convinced of what they say they believe. We read about these persecuted countries here every morning where people walk hours to get to a church service where they risk their lives to have a copy of a Bible. I think Paul's word here is a word to the American church, awake you who sleep. Wake up out of the spiritual lethargy and get engaged in that which you have been created for. If you're a Christian here today, you're 
walking as light of the world. You're to walk as light of the world. And you do it by avoiding the sins of the world. You need to understand that you are no longer darkness, but you are light. This is who you are. And you need to expose the works of darkness rather than partnering with them. Paul says it's time to wake up. I was watching a video of a sociologist the other day, and he was saying that there's obviously such an interest in video games and board games and all these other things, and, and kids, in particular guys, are so committed to these games. And he says that there's a direct link. Uh, he pointed out this direct link. He's like, you know, we're wired, men particularly, we're wired to, to do something important, you know? We're wired to be on a mission, And what he was pointing out was so many people are attracted to these like war sort of games and these like epic sort of adventure games because it's tapping into this thing in their manhood that's good, that should be there. You should be on a quest. You should be on a journey, a quest for Christian living in your home, a, a quest for Christian children. You should be engaged in the spiritual battle that's going on for your kids. You should be engaged in being light in a world that's in a battle between light and darkness. And because so many people fail to get involved in these things, fail to get engaged, they find it in some other way. They find it in fantasy. Men were created to be involved. But many are selling themselves into a cheap substitute. And it's having bad effects on them, their families, the culture around us, the society we live in, the church. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would, please, in your Bible, and we'll close with this. Men, you were made for a pursuit. God has created you to be involved in what he's created you for, to walk as men of light in this world, to stand up for those that are oppressed, to stand up for your families, to fight for your families, to fight for your community, to fight for things that are right, things that are good, to get involved in the battle, people dying, being led astray, people like sheep being led astray, young people being indoctrinated, giving experimental medicine so they can block puberty because an eight-year-old can somehow identify as, as non-binary and say they haven't figured out their gender yet. Are you kidding me? Where are the men? Where are the people that are going to stand up and fight against this? What are the men that are just going to say, no, I am just, I'm not participating in this lie anymore. Not doing that. We're bringing truth. We're men of truth. We're men of, we're light. God has put us on a mission. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul kind of summarizes everything that he said here about coming out of darkness and walking as light. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, Christians, don't be partnered up with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship has righteousness, uh, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? That's another word for the devil. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let, our, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's a, that's a call to Christians. You need to be different than this world around you. It's, it's never been more of a time that this is necessary. If you've never come to Christ, the way that this happens is by you understanding, first of all, that this gnawing feeling that you have in your life about your sin that won't go away, that something needs to happen, you, you know that there's something off you know that you're missing something. You know there's something off in you. You know that the evil that you do, you can't stop doing it. You know that there's something evil that needs to be dealt with. And you also, you know that Christ is the answer. You know that God has sent his son into the world. This, these are things that you know innately. When it's your time to get saved, these things are so prevalent on you. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin. He's convicting you of your need for a savior. If that is you today, the way that you receive Jesus, you say, I surrender. I confess that I've sinned against the Lord. I confess, Lord, that I've broken your laws. I haven't lived as I ought to. And now I receive Jesus as Savior. He came and he died on the cross to pay for the penalty of all the sins that I deserve. Every time that I've broken the laws of God that he's put into play. There's laws in this universe. There's law of gravity. There's all kinds of laws of physics, photosynthesis. There's all kinds of, there's Murphy's law. No, I don't know if that's a real law. Just kidding. Just like God has put these other concrete objective laws into the universe, he's also put moral laws into the universe. And all of us as his creatures have broken those moral laws. And very much in the same way, when you break Mason City's laws, you get a fine. You keep racking up debt. It has to be paid. You and I have racked up the debt against God, and it needs to be paid. So we'll either pay it in hell eternally. We'll either pay it ourselves for eternity, we'll, we've sinned against an eternal God, so the punishment is eternal. But because God loves us, he's given us a way for that not to happen. Christ came and paid the eternal penalty for our sin once for all on the cross. And if I will trust in what God has done, then what was done on the cross will be applied to me. That penalty will be applied to me. I can go free because he paid the penalty. And if I will trust in God, if I will surrender, if I'll confess my sin and turn from my sin and turn to believe in him, God will declare me to be righteous and I can be saved. And that's where it all begins. If you've not done that yet today, I encourage you to do that. 
You can do it now just by saying, Jesus, I accept you. I receive what you've done. I want you to be my Lord and my God. I commit to follow you. If you're here today and, uh, you know, if this has been like a, a kind of a literal wake-up call when Paul said, awake you who sleep. Consider what you're missing out on by sleeping through your life. Consider what that's costing you. For those of you that are walking as light, I want to encourage you that it's most likely going to get more difficult. If you're making an impact for Christ in this world, it says in the end times that things will grow darker and darker. And we see that happening before us here today. So I want to encourage you that are walking as light. Don't grow weary while doing good. In due season, you'll reap. When you see the Lord face to face, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 